You're listening to People First, the Hyde Park Angels podcast dedicated to deconstructing entrepreneurial success and actionable takeaways you can use today. Hyde Park Angels is the most active early stage investor in Chicago with a commitment to taking a people first approach to investing. By matching our members' expertise and our entrepreneurs' needs, we help develop top performing companies that are delivering extraordinary results. I'm your host, Pete Wilkins, Managing Director here at HPA. Enjoy the show. Good day, listeners. It's Pete Wilkins, Managing Director of Hyde Park Angels, and today I'm with Michael Small. Michael, if you could introduce yourself first, uh, if you could start off just with your current role, and then we'll provide a little background on who you are and, and what makes you tick. Great, Pete. Great to be here. I am President and CEO of GoGo. Um, we're an in-flight internet company um, serving the global aviation industry. And I joined GoGo seven years after a long career in telecommunications. Um, well, that, that's first of all, let me just say, uh, before you get into your background, I love GoGo, and it always <laughs> provides excellent service for me, Michael. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, with that, um, it would be great if I could hand it over and just, if you could provide the listeners uh, a little view into your background, um, kind of where you started and how you got here. Yeah, well, I, I actually came to Chicago in 1979 to go to sh Chicago Booth to get an MBA. I had, at that age of 21, retired with eight years of uh, experience in my dad's chicken restaurants. So <laughs> wow. I had a uh, background of an entrepreneurial um, family and starting, obviously, um, work at a very young age. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, but I knew I wanted to do something different uh, for the rest of my life, and so I got the MBA. And by chance, I um, got my first job in the Chicago area for a telecommunications company called Centel. And it's been telecommunications um, ever since. Wow. So your first job was with Centel. And for our entrepreneurs out there, um, it would be fair to say that from the family business, chicken, to the infrastructure business, that was quite a pivot for you, right? Yeah, it kind of was. And I was looking for a pivot, but I didn't know what to, <laughs> to exactly what. It just um, happened to be. And um it turned out I was uh, joined a telecommunications company just as the digital age was beginning. I think Centel was bragging about having bought one of the first digital switches ever, and I didn't know where that was going to lead, but mm -hmm. it turned out it was into cable TV and to wireless and, and a pretty exciting career. Yeah, so uh, what, what was your career trajectory there? Well, I started in um, finance and and then did a little strategic planning, but asked for an opportunity to go into operations and got to run a little cable TV company down in Texas um, for a couple of years until we sold it. And then, remarkably, at still a pretty young age, I had to be, uh, become chief financial officer of the, um, of the cable TV company, mm -hmm. which we took public in 1987. So I did wow, an IPO. Wow, that's yeah. a pretty good trajectory for, for, for your first job out of school. Yeah. Um, down in Texas, I'm sure it was hot during the summer, but you were able to deal with it, and then you rewarded eventually as a CFO, and then you took that company public. Yep, it, wow. was, it was a different era. It was, um, I remember Morgan Stanley handing me an $80 million 
check, which I had to figure out how to go. <laughs> Not go a to, Bitcoin kind of deposit no, or anything along those lines. Pre-Bitcoin, yeah. um, pre-even wire transfer. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, that's a, that, I, you know what? If, if anybody want to hand, hand me a check of that size, I would still take it. Yeah, I did. And I figured out the deposit window. It was in first Chicago on like the 14th floor. I had to go do that. <laughs> uh, so kind of how, how did your career uh, continue? Well, as soon as I um, became CFO of the cable company, within a year we decided to sell it, and I got to um, sell it in actually six different pieces to oh. six different buyers, and that took another year to accomplish. Um, then moved into investor relations um, for Centel, the parent company, and from after a couple of years doing that, went into the wireless industry. And actually um, got to do crazy things like run engineering and marketing. Really? And so you went from like a finance background into engineering and then marketing. Yeah. Wow, that's you, you're kind of like a renaissance uh, guy. <laughs> I don't know why they trusted me to do that, but I had a blast um, doing that. And then eventually um, Centel was bought by Sprint and I stayed for a while afterwards, but then got an opportunity to go run an American stock exchange company. Um, that was kind of a holding company, had a lot of telecom in it, but it also had manufacturing and transportation. It was like 14 different businesses. Wow. Did so, that for a couple of years, and then came back as um, CFO of another wireless company back here in Chicago. Well, you are a, an operator through and through, though, with a lot of different um, industries that you were overseeing, with a lot of different experience from a functional perspective as well. So. You know, you, you have a unique look um, at growing and building and selling and IPOing companies for sure. Uh, so what happened after that? Well, we um, sold um, that wireless company, it was called 360 Communications, to Altel, which in turn was eventually bought by Verizon. So after that, I um, went to run as CEO of a wireless company that was um, largely private equity owned mm -hmm. um, by Welsh Carson and Blackstone. Um, we left a little stub in public hands, um, but then we kind of re-IPO'd that um, as um, private equity took down their interest. Sure. Um, and then eventually sold that company. And this is this all happened over the course of over a decade. Yes. Um, we sold it to AT&T in 2009. And very shortly thereafter, I came to GoGo. Wow, well, that is um, you probably have a lot of uh, a, a lot of friends as far as being able to create some success through the public markets and to grow business. Um, that is an impressive uh, background, and I think that, you know, from Hyde Park Angels' perspective, we're always looking to make sure that our investor members um, can help us source and support our portfolio companies, providing unique insights like Michael provides. I think, you know, in our conversation, Michael, um, your role in GoGo, it's really unique, and maybe we can talk a little bit uh, when I say unique, not your role so much, but where GoGo plays in the market. And, and I think, first of all, you know, GoGo is an IoT company from my perspective, though many people don't think of it that way. So maybe for our listeners, you can provide uh, how you view GoGo and kind of how a listener might be able to better understand how completely um, dynamic and um, integrated and complex GoGo really is. Yeah, GoGo was um, quite a, a surprise um, and a challenge. And 
you know, the idea of connecting aircraft, which is what GoGo does, and we're the world leader in, in doing that with um, over 3,000 commercial aircraft connected and over 4,000 business jets connected. Um, yeah, so that concept, um, I've never found anybody who says it isn't a needed service You're to right. co connect um, planes. And, and the day I um, heard about GoGo, I um, researched, uh, you know, what technology they were using and how much spectrum they had. And in the first interview, it was clear to me they didn't have enough capacity to, um, to really do this. They had enough right. to get going, but we were going to hit a wall. And right. I didn't quite realize how prophetic I was. I thought it'd be easier problem to fix. Right. Um, but it's turned out. I think we're now finally seven years later, um, getting out in front of front of the capacity issue. That's funny because uh, you you knew there was a problem um, going in. Yep. Um, but you were thinking, well, this is uh, uh, certainly solvable. And I think that a lot of folks that are sitting in planes, they're thinking. How hard can it be, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that you know it's plenty hard. So tell us more about that. Yeah. Um, well, so that was, I knew the capacity problem, um, but we were also North American focused. We had this air-to-ground network, and by definition, you need the ground for an air-to-ground network, so it doesn't work over the oceans. And furthermore, we were only licensed in North America, not all over the globe. Um, so I, I quickly learned had to solve a global problem. Mm -hmm. So we not only needed more capacity, we had to go global, which meant satellite instead mm -hmm. of um, cell, t cell tower-based network. Um, it took me even longer to figure out that um, serving global aviation is a real challenge. Um, planes don't sit still. Mm -hmm. um, they can't be touched by your folks. They got to be touched by um, you know aviation technicians. Mm -hmm. They can only do what's in the operating manual. They can't make it up as they go. In fact, we can't change anything without regulatory approval. So now all of a sudden you had to figure out how to take care of planes all over the globe. Without touching them too, correct? With, yeah, to, not directly, right. indirectly. Yep. Um, so the um, big data, remote diagnostics, you know, careful operating processes and systems on a global basis. I mean, they're, right. they're really, Global telecom companies basically don't exist. They're they're national. They're local. So we, we had to create a global ability to serve a highly demanding vertical in, in aviation. I think that the thing that you brought up that I think most people probably didn't even realize, and I know you're transforming the industry uh, with you know your latest innovation, but the idea that you couldn't go over an ocean because from it was ground to air um yeah. and i don't even think people even understand how that works but then when you start layering in the fact that you basically have to create a channel to have your product on the end point of what's being delivered that you can't even control uh, what a challenge that is because yeah. the quality control and all of the logistical element logistic elements that come into that is pretty enormous yeah so we had to invent the network technology we had to get the supply chain and the logistics to get it on planes and take care of it um, but then we also had to have this platform or software layer because you know airlines aren't inherently 
internet savvy right. companies, so it had to be really, really easy to use. And, and furthermore, it had to interface with all the airline systems, whether it's a reservation or trouble ticketing. Which or, is like almost a yes, business I, in and of itself, so, creating yeah. an enterprise layer software that integrates with these yeah. complicated kind yeah. of programs that they're running on. Yeah, so you sort of become a, you know, a SaaS company or a Salesforce.com. We've our equipment manufacturer like Alcatel Lucent, or a service operator like a Verizon or AT&T, um, and we probably have global logistics um, like you know a FedEx or an Amazon, all, right. all going on in one little in one well growing company. All right. Yeah. So well, it's been a wild ride. It. I think that you know, and correct me. I'll try to summarize. I think that you have. A global telecom company mm -hmm. that is building enterprise-level software mm -hmm. that has an element of consumer-facing software as well, mm -hmm. plus a hardware uh, manufacturer. R&D and manufacturer, yeah. And finally, a logistic operator. Yep. Well, that's impressive. That's like three companies. You know, like when you had to sell way back when, they split yeah. up your company into six companies. You're basically running almost six yeah. companies right now. It's been it's been complex, and we've um, had to do it in the environment of, I mean, we are the leader, but we do have five competitors, and they all challenge us every day to say <laughs> right. what we are doing can possibly work is the drumbeat out there. So. It's been um, it's been exciting, um, but you know, at the end of the day, we've had a compelling vision of connecting aircraft. I think we've had a strong plan to do it. We've assembled a great team of now 1,200 people, and we um, th keep the values high so we can all work together constructively. We um, create. I used to say an environment of continuous improvement, but now it's. Um, continuous innovation and disruptive improvement, All I right. think. And and then you, you always have to challenge the team with um, reasonable expectations too high and people feel like they're failing too low. You're, you're not moving forward fast enough. Yeah, I, I completely um, can relate to trying to build this company that's transforming the way that we communicate on a global perspective but understand to really do that, you have to have a people-first approach um, and that having clear value and culture and the right dynamics to challenge but not crush people becomes really important. Yep. Um, that's impressive. So clearly you have a unique perspective both from your background and where you currently sit. And if you're looking at um, the trends in the industry, um, whether it's from a communication standpoint or aerospace perspective or um, a software perspective, what are some of the trends that you think are critical from a business leader perspective that you need to make sure that you're aware of, whether it's your sitting in your seat or yeah. any type of uh, a leader, whether it's a small startup or a big company? Yeah, I think the um, biggest issue is how you cope with extraordinary rate of change mm -hmm. and if uh, there's hardly a business where you can assume that it, the status quo holds at, at all and even five and ten percent um, types of annual improvement probably um, don't don't cut it anymore and to to really create an organization that can deal deal with 
rapid change, learn and improve in a structured, systematic way because you start thrashing if right. you're not careful. Um, that That's a really, really tough um, skill and that's the, the great companies now figure that out because it doesn't matter how good you are now, if you aren't improving rapidly, you're going right. to get run over. and. And that 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 is the fundamental issue, and and you know human beings don't really like to um, change that fast. I mean, right. you know, fundamentally, you want to cling to your habits or whatever, and and so figuring out how to create an organization um, that can change quickly, but in a in a in a structured way, is is today's challenge, in my view. Uh, that is so insightful. Um, uh, on a previous show, we had Hardik Bot that was talking about the Internet of Things and how change is being accelerated through technology, and then you overlap that with artificial intelligence, which is going yep. to continue to change. But I think that your uh, what you're speaking to applies not only to a Fortune 500 CEO or a Fortune 1000 CEO, but an entrepreneur that's getting all these inputs and they have to take these inputs in real time like a fire hose yep. and create that into intelligence that they make business decisions on. Yeah, so let me, let me tell you, you mentioned the Internet of Things, and, and this is why it's accelerating. Um, so, you know, we are now um, connecting every everything that happens on a plane, um, you know, what the passenger's doing, what sites they're going to, what they're clicking on, what kind of data rates they're seeing, all, all that, um, what kind of failures we have on the plane with our equipment. We're capturing that, and we've captured those log files for a long time, but they kind of dumped into a mm -hmm. database somewhere. But now, all of a sudden, the unified data platform is being put in place, so we see all those files coming in, but we can now marry them to what's in our um, ERP system. Right. Our, and so if there's a problem, it's now tied to a specific piece of equipment or, you know, and you can really isolate things. Yep. Um, you can have big data analytic capability search for what those problems might be, and then you start layering in some artificial intelligence so you can have the machine help do the learning for you. And so... Problems that would have been invisible are now becoming visible, and the ability to think about how to improve them is is accelerating at a rap at a rapid rate. And it's yeah. it's um it's almost um uh, yeah. Traditionally, you would not know how to deal with that fire hose of new information coming your way, but it is coming our way. I got it. So the what, what I'm hearing you say too is that. Um, that fire hose is now getting plugged into your ERP system, which ultimately has a better mechanism to deliver to the person that can actually be empowered to have change in the cycle. Is that accurate? That's accurate, and I, I picked the ERP system, but I think into the our unified data platform, which is still in construction, still mm -hmm. happening, and getting better every day, but I think there's 50 different systems that are all, yeah. um, that used to be largely isolated from one another, or there might have been an analyst at the desk, you know, looking at one and looking right. at the other, and in some spreadsheet trying to match a very painful process versus having this happen in a real-time basis. Do you feel, what is the um, lapse between actionable information that the data has been that has been driven by the data 
to actually somebody that is empowered from your staff perspective to make a change? Do you think you're getting close to where there is almost no lapse so we can find the right person with the right information to make the right decision? Or is it they have to go look at a report at the end of the day and then they'll make that change tomorrow or next week or next month or next year? In general, it, you don't yeah. have to give me specifics, but broad, broadly speaking. Well, it, it it's, um, yeah, there's a continuum. Sure. I mean, there's some problems that you see the problem and no one has any idea how to fix it and you know may never get fixed mm -hmm. to um, some that are are happening on a pretty instantaneous um, real-time basis but I, I can also say that the elapsed time what was basically daily reporting cycle mm -hmm. um, now basically most stuff's available within the hour mm -hmm. you know so we probably just in time I've been there collapsed the time you know by a factor of 24 um, the accuracy of the data is up, um, you know, we're now, you know, fractions of 1% instead of, you know, several percent right. um, in, in data areas and the ability to correlate different pieces of information has expanded um, dramatically. So that, yeah, this is, it's a continuum to your question, but overall it's moving by orders of magnitude. You know, you said one of the core changes that innovation or change is happening so quickly that leaders need to make sure that they can um, create an, an infrastructure within their organization to allow their people to flow with the change. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other, we were talking about how we use data, do you have any other type of uh, ideas for the listeners out there to think about how else do you help your team deal with change? Yeah, well I think good culture, you know, ultimately, you know, presuming, um, you know, positive intent or a right. level of trust in the organization, because you can have all the structure in the world, but if people assume nefarious intent instead of positive intent, um, you're, you're going to have um, trouble. And I think there's a, you know, there's an probably an infinite number of ways to um, create a, a good environment, um, mm -hmm. but but you better care about that. And in some ways, at the beginning, it can be a tight-knit group of people who just get along, right. um, and that, that often works in most startups. That either works or doesn't work, but at some point it needs to be intentional and programmatic on how you're gonna create a, a positive environment, otherwise, it just, you can have all the data in the world and right. people are going to come to the negative conclusion rather than the positive conclusion. Yes, I think that is extremely important. And I think that creating a culture of trust makes people feel that even though that their environment is changing, that they're safe and secure in their environment and that collectively the group will be able to work together to address the change. Yep. And being in an unsafe environment creates uncertainty. Uncertainty creates projections of what are possible things that could happen. And all of a sudden, you're dealing with a lot of things that would never happen. But because you don't have a safe environment, everybody has to be on their toes all the time. Yep, I, I would say that that's true. And um, and having a compelling vision uh, worked for me. I came to GoGo -Go because this sounded cool, connecting aircraft. Yep. And um, even when things weren't always perfect, um, that um, our 
they're never perfect, but even you know, in trying times, the idea that there is a you know vision that's greater than any one of us, right. um, it does also help people hang in there and get over the tough spots. No doubt. I think that that vision of what it could be and how they contribute. But and I think that what is just fascinates me about GoGo is just the different approach and you are transforming the way we communicate in a way that's never been done before so it is awesome to be able to work with you I, I know that the time is starting to tick down so I want to finish with one last question um, and maybe you can you I'll give you the ability to uh, trump this question with your own comment but mm -hmm. if you were to leave um, the listeners with a point of view on leadership or flipping over to a point of view of where the internet of things is going to go um, what would be your one nugget um, for people just to think about um, what the future looks like and as they start to prepare their business what they should be thinking about yeah in some way, those those are fairly connected questions sure. because the Internet of Things is going to increase the flow of information, and ultimately, when your products are, you know, never detached from the network, I and mean, Tesla and their cars and how they update them is the you know example that everybody uh, points to, and they improve their product after it left the shop on a on a reg regular basis. That's starting to happen everywhere and so you know the idea that all the information flows to the top we think about it and it shows down is that that model's been challenged for a while mm -hmm. but it's 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 going um to to the next level and so you know the concept of being a leader and really empowering people who are closest to the um the action or the data to make the decisions is 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 increasing every every day and it's taking us into um yeah new new territories but you can't you, you just can't fight that um and yeah. and it's um yeah and uh, you know probably as a leader the number of things you can count on that uh, are that you can find that you didn't know about that you say wow that's cool in your very own company mm -hmm. I, I was just at the um company um picnic at the lincoln park zoo and i'd walk around just randomly people i didn't know and i didn't run across a person who wasn't working on something cool i'd heard yeah. about i heard about three quarters of them but there was about a quarter of them that's like wow that's yeah. great and it's going on in gogo -Go. and and that's that's kind of a new model of the leader where your own organization surprises you every day yeah well I think those are, are great thoughts. Um, I think ultimately the more that, you know, the more tools you can provide your employees and your staff to make better decisions and you're empowering them to make those decisions, the more effective your business is gonna be and understanding it as a leader is important and tying that into IoT was right on the money. And I think that, you know, wanted to thank you for your time today, wanted to thank you for your leadership in the Chicagoland community and your participation as a Hyde Park Angel Investor member. So for all the entrepreneurs listening to today's podcast, I wanted to invite you to a special program that Hyde Park Angels is putting on, How to Raise Venture Capital. It takes place on September 7th at the 1871 Auditorium. Be sure to join us. Thanks.